1: Welcome, ladies and gents, to episode 59 of the Absolute Return podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko.
2: I'm Mike Kessling.
1: Today is Friday, March 20th, 2020. Got an interesting podcast this week brought to you by uh, Work From Home. We got our mobile operation set up. Mike is manning the trading desk and I am at the home office recording this from a MacBook and we're going to do it like this and hopefully the quality is okay for everyone. But a number of important topics. Number one, Governments around the world, they announced record setting fiscal stimulus measures, basically a fiscal bazooka to counteract the coronavirus led economic downturn, which has seemingly become a global recession. Will this record-setting fiscal stimulus help combat this global recession? We're going to chat a lot about what's going on there and what different governments are doing uh, in terms of fiscal stimulus. In addition to that, central banks are doing their part in their fight against COVID-19 by implementing substantial monetary stimulus basically cutting interest rates, implementing quantitative easing, but will this work? And lastly, a market update as market volatility creates unprecedented, unprecedented opportunities in the merger arbitrage space as deals continue to get done. What's the best way to capitalize on this? So to start off, we're talking about potential $1 trillion fiscal stimulus that Republicans are talking about in the U.S. in order to basically jolt the U.S. economy and offset the massive downturn caused by COVID-19. Now, this proposal, this $1 trillion fiscal stimulus proposal includes checks to individuals and businesses, so-called helicopter money, money just flying from the sky, not uh, literally, it'll just be electronic, but nonetheless, this is meant to keep individuals and businesses afloat as Commerce grinds to a halt, everyone's staying at home, many frontline workers can't work from home so they're unemployed uh, just due to social distancing and self-isolation measures which are being implemented to stop the spread of the virus and ultimately get us through this whole situation. This is in addition to what the White House and Congress have already agreed on, more than $100 billion in funding to tackle different aspects of this whole coronavirus pandemic and its effects on the economy, but they realized that a much more expansive fiscal plan has become apparent as these cases are rising sharply. I mean, if we look at what's going on globally, almost 260,000 cases confirmed, over 11,000 deaths now in the US, over 16,000 cases, uh, which is just uh, increasingly becoming more and more dire every day with the risk of really overwhelming hospitals, unless we put a stop to it. And and the best way to stop it really is through uh, social distancing, and uh, self-isolation. So U.S. looking to implement massive $1 trillion uh, fiscal stimulus. This still needs to go uh, and be supported by Democrats, which could be a a bit of a battle. Uh, Meanwhile, in Canada, uh, the Canadian government implemented an $82 billion fiscal stimulus package. This is to support Canadians and businesses affected by COVID-19. It includes $27 billion in direct support to Canadians and $55 billion in tax deferrals. Uh, Across the pond, the German government is setting up a €500 billion rescue fund for banks and corporations. Really Everyone, beca- All these economies becoming overwhelmed by the coronavirus crisis. A lot of people uh, underestimated it, including myself. Who knew it would uh, expand this quickly if you compare it to past uh, viral outbreaks such as uh, SARS, Ebola, MERS, etc. Those ones tended to fizzle out uh, and not really... Uh, transfer globally. However, this one has become much, much bigger on a global scale and led to really a global recession in which economies basically just had to shut down as people uh, had to stay home. Uh, Governments starting to implement uh, substantial measures. For example, today, the California governor ordered 40 million people uh, to stay home in the world's fifth largest economy basically just looking to stay inside not go outside as some numbers here from economists Morgan Stanley said a worldwide recession is now it's a base case they're expecting global growth to a fall to 0.9% this year Goldman Sachs economists predicting growth of 1.25% on a global basis this year which fits the definition of global recession as defined as less than 2.5% global GDP growth. S&P Global uh, voicing its opinion, expecting global growth to be in the range of 1% to 1.5%. So a lot going on here in terms of governments implementing various fiscal stimulus measures, just massive fiscal stimulus, uh, potentially $1 trillion or higher in the U.S. It's going to involve helicopter money and direct deposits to individuals in order to get them through this trying time. What are your thoughts on this uh, fiscal bazooka that governments are coming out with? Do you think it'll be effective in getting us through this challenging time?
2: Yeah, a physical bazooka indeed. Um, I mean, $1,500 checks to Americans. Now, it, it's not believed that this would go directly back into the economy in terms of going back into restaurants, some of the service and tourism in- industries. This is literally to get people by, to pay their rent, to pay some of their medical expenses. With the checks that they're looking to, you know, cut for American citizens, uh, that would actually exclude individuals earning over seventy-five thousand dollars a year or couples earning over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So you're looking at the area that at the area of the economy that's really hit most by this. Um, so those are families where a fifteen hundred dollar check this this would be a big deal for them. Um, especially when we're going to be seeing massive amounts of unemployment, uh, especially in areas of the gig economy um, where they don't have as much of the protections as, say, a traditional uh, corporate job. Um, Moving to Canada as well, you have both a response by the government, uh, but as well it was kind of a little bit of uh, working with the Canadian banks as well, as there will be. Things such as mortgage payment deferrals, which was a decision made in conjunction with the Canadian banks. Um, so you're seeing them kind of pull out all the stops as well as trying to provide some relief to um, small businesses that, um, I mean, they, they're looking at, and especially in the US, they are looking at certain bailout packages for industries. But, you know, right now as well, there's not going to be, you know, as much bailout Bailout money for small businesses. So it is nice to see them get some relief. Now, one thing I did want to touch on here with regards to the fiscal stimulus and overall government actions is we all have opinions of what the government should do in this scenario. And what really typically doesn't happen is the entire market reacting to what our opinions of what the government should do. And in the case this week with A very famous activist investor, Bill Ackman, he actually went on CNBC this week, and this was on Monday. And so when he went on CNBC, he had outlined in a series of tweets what he thought the government should do. By the time he was done speaking a couple hours later, stocks had been halted while he was speaking and were down about 5% in total from when he had started speaking uh, to a couple hours later There was some recovery into the end of the day, but really just a crazy market reaction. And what this came down to, what was he saying to get the market to react so negatively? Well, he was effectively calling for the government to impose a 30-day spring break where the whole economy would shut down and the government would pay wages. Additionally, he said that Hilton, uh, which is one of his largest holdings, um, that he is long, uh, he said that it's a potential zero along with every other hotel company if the government doesn't take the action that he's recommending. Also said that the vast majority of KKR and Blackstone's LBOs over the last number of years, that they were all going to zero. The private equity firm was going deals. to zero. Yes, and, and, and after the interview, he ended up calling. It was reported that he called Blackstone to let them know that he was buying shares. Uh, <laughs> Blackstone has been down 34 percent over the last month, and this raged as well for him dropping personal anecdotes, um, which were obvious. He was obviously quite emotional about. To then, you know, re- recommending that Elon Musk convert his factories to produce ventilators. It was really just a bizarre, bizarre mar- moment in market history where you're watching this on on live television. And literally, as he's speaking, the stocks stock markets get halted in North America. It, it was really a very bizarre thing to watch. I, I don't think I've ever really seen anyone, any individual investor be, be able to impact the market in such a way.
1: Yeah, the problem these days is that uh, media, social media, traditional media, people are perhaps paying too close of attention to it. And are too affected by it. I mean, watching CNBC during the middle of the day and and that discouraging you and and having you sell investments because of what some guy in New York tells you. Not a good idea, but certainly isn't unprecedented. I remember uh, David Tepper going on, uh, must have been eight or nine years ago with his famously bullish comments and the market having a big rally off the back of what he said. But nonetheless, it shouldn't really have a lot of bearing on long-term investors. Nonetheless, uh, despite all these tremendous fiscal stimulus measures, The Dow Jones crossed below 20,000 to the downside for the first time since early 2017. So markets continued to take a hit this week. uh, One of the worst weeks since 2008 after a horrific week last week, talking about yields, uh, on tre- uh, treasury bills, short-term bills, they turn negative. And oil prices, my God, the volatility in oil actually hit their lowest level in 18 years. That's right, since 2002. They just got absolutely crushed last week. And then uh, this week, sorry, and then yesterday, they had one of their biggest rallies in um It was actually their highest percentage gain on record in terms of oil price from such an incredibly low level, only to go on today to crash uh, over 10%. And then, um, you know, just markets in general have lost about 35% since their peak just about uh, a month ago. So certainly wild times. The fiscal stimulus is going to take a while to uh, work its way through the economy And it's not just the governments doing their part, it's the central banks as well. For example, the US Federal Reserve announced uh, another emergency uh half a percent interest rate cut so they cut 50 basis points uh last weekend on Sunday and all this took interest rates down to near zero that's right the same level that they cut them down to in the global financial crisis 2008 2009 they also announced 700 billion of so called quantitative easing QE and this is basically uh, unlimited with no weekly or monthly cap on purchases. Some people expect that this uh, total 700 billion amount may go higher. And what this 700 billion goes into, it goes into buying treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And the swiftness in which they have been executing on this plan so far has been incredible. They already purchased uh, 150 billion in securities on Thursday and Friday, and this is on top of $125 billion in purchases earlier this week. So the Fed has bought more than half of the $500 billion in Treasury securities in one week, with little sign of This market malfunction really fixing itself despite nearly half uh, or a few hundred billion in the Fed's purchases of these treasury securities. So it's really just pointing and market participants are starting to price in. Perhaps that 700 billion isn't enough because they already blasted through a large chunk of it with seemingly no effect. And if we look to the last precedent, the last time the Fed affected quantitative easing, which they commenced in 2008 and executed until 2014, they bought $3 trillion in securities. So perhaps they could go to that or higher, but the market is thinking that that $700 billion in quantitative easing, the Fed will have to step up those purchases just because there's a lot of turmoil in the market these days, wacky things going on in all corners of the market. If you want to talk uh, spreads negative yields on treasuries corporate bonds which we're going to get into merge arbitrage spreads basically it's affecting everything in the market and it's being driven by liquidity and fear just over this massive uh, coronavirus panic. So aside from what the Federal Reserve is doing in the US and the Bank of Canada, they implemented another uh, 0.5% or 50 basis point cut of its benchmark rate on an emergency basis. So they previously cut uh, earlier this month at the regular meetings they went on this week to effect an emergency cut and then the European Central Bank launched a 750 billion euro monetary stimulus program, Quantitative Easing, which includes a potential to backstop the Eurozone's weakest governments, such as Greece and Italy, who certainly needs it these days. Additionally, in Europe, the Bank of England, they cut their benchmark interest rate to a record low, I believe even lower than in 2008. They also said they would commence quantitative easing with £200 billion of purchases of UK government bonds. Globally, at least 22 emerging markets central banks have cut rates in this week alone. Some examples for uh, Egypt cutting 3%, Ghana, Turkey, and Vietnam all cutting 100 basis points. So it's really global coordinated action on behalf of central banks trying to stimulate the economy just to get around this rough patch caused by COVID 19. Now in Canada, closer to home, with that a central bank interest rate cut. The Canadian banks, they did slash prime rates to match the 50 basis point cut. So if you're a borrower, so you got a variable rate mortgage, a prime rate coming down by half a percent will help you in that respect. Then if we want to talk about treasury bills, negative rates. I mean, that's a crazy idea we've seen it in europe we've seen it in japan but in north america specifically us treasury bills this is kind of uh, unprecedented isn't it
2: yeah absolutely and you're right now you're seeing the 3 month us treasuries they're yielding they were yielding about 1.5% at the end of february they're now about negative 0.02% so two basis points is the negative um, in terms of their yield And you Know really just pricing in that you're going to see the Fed lower into the negative, uh, in you know, likely in the near future. Not just that, uh,
1: but I think a lot of these crazy market moves, and you're seeing it in uh, basically every different space in the market, is this liquidity driven. For example, you talk about corporate bond funds and what's going on there, people are selling. Everything. They're selling everything. They want to buy U.S. dollars and they want to buy treasuries. And that's it. Right. They're like, no one wants to hold anything else besides treasuries. And they've gotten bid up such that treasury bills, those with uh, 30 day maturities, etc., are now yielding slightly negative just to insatiable demand. Right.
2: Absolutely. And some of that bad demand also just coming from the, the Fed itself. But as well, I, I did want to drop a fun little, fun little anecdote that I came across this morning across the Bloomberg terminal was uh, that the Bank of Russia is actually still keeping rate increases on the table, which I thought was just absolutely absurd in this environment that there's any possibility that they're looking to increase their rate at this point in time.
1: Yeah, especially uh, since their economy is run basically solely off of the price of oil, which has been absolutely slaughtered down over 60% year to date.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It just seemed like definite posturing but the other interesting thing to highlight here is that you look back to when quantitative easing was first brought about in the in the global financial crisis back in 2008 2009 and at uh, at that time every all the pundits and many investors quite quite a few that i you know highly respect all they talk could talk about was the fear of quantitative easing bringing upon a, a really like hyperinflation. That was the big worry. Yeah. So you saw hedges to inflation such as gold. They they were doing well during that time period. But this time around with quantitative. Easing, quantitative easing, you're seeing nothing of the sort. You know, inflation really isn't being mentioned at this point in time, and if anything, most of the economies are just worried about going into a deflationary state, so it is interesting in terms of how the market is responding to this.
1: And it's not just the quantitative easing that people would expect uh, inflation to rise in the future, but helicopter money, this massive fiscal stimulus, where they're just printing money and giving it to people, you figure at some point that would come back to bite them in terms of dramatic inflation. But thus far, we haven't seen any price action in terms of gold, which is, I believe, down slightly year-to-date, and other Uh, asset classes that investors would, would prefer in that sort of inflationary environment.
2: Absolutely, and just I guess you know, looking in Canada, looking in our local market, Julian, do you see there being any any potential for quantitative easing in Canada?
1: I don't think so. Historically, the Bank of Canada they uh, they never got into that. They made it through um, the global financial crisis without any quantitative easing, and they seem to be pretty proud of that. So I'm not sure if that's a tool that they'd use. Uh, you saw how quickly the, the Trudeau government implemented over 80 billion dollars in fiscal stimulus. So I think that is the way that they want to uh, enact any sort of measures to counteract the downturn Uh, due to the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. And so I think they will stick with that, perhaps add additional fiscal uh, stimulus if possible. But the Bank of Canada seemingly hasn't been too interested in quantitative easing historically. They haven't hinted otherwise, but I mean, it's something that we'll see one other thing I wanted to comment, uh, we're talking about these crazy market moves. I wanted to comment on what happened in investment-grade bonds. What we saw here is just absolutely stunning. The outflows from U.S. investment-grade bonds bond funds has just been astounding. It was a staggering $35.6 billion, which is by far the highest on record by an order of magnitude. And just the price action, U.S. investment-grade bond funds, which are historically a very safe asset class, they've plunged over 13% so far this month. Now, Calling this a record monthly loss really understates just how bad this drawdown is. For example, if we go back to the last major crisis in September 2008 when Lehman Brothers was collapsing, U.S. investment-grade bonds, they fell by less than 8%. So this decline of north of 13% is far, far greater than when Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. To put this further in perspective, the largest U investment, US investment grade bond ETF, it has given up about a decade worth of gains in a matter of days. And in addition to that, the world's biggest actively managed bond fund, the 137 billion Pimco income fund is down 12% this month. For context, historically, their worst month prior to this month was October 2008, basically when the world was ending. That fund was only down 4.8%. So now their losses almost tripled that record, and it just gives listeners a sense of the calamity out there and just these wacky markets, people selling absolutely everything, trying to get their hands on U.S. dollars and treasuries, even very safe Investment-grade corporate bonds, no one wants to buy these. We see it in municipal bonds. We see it in basically every asset class. Leverage loans, one that we wanted to talk about as well, is the merger arbitrage market. What we're seeing there is just due to this unprecedented volatility, uh, the VIX index, also known as the FEAR index, it actually hit its all-time record this week, exceeding 80. I I believe it hit 85, which would have been even higher than the three times it closed above 80 in in October and November of 2008. Um, We're basically seeing an unprecedented opportunity set in merger arbitrage where spreads. Historically, uh, the yield that you could generate by investing in merger arbitrage was generally around 4 to 6% annualized. Those have blown out to north of 20%, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. It's unprecedented. We've never seen a market like this, and, and people are basically selling everything. It's this liquidity-driven sell-off, irrespective of quality of the deal, where you're even you're having the the highest quality of merger arbitrage transactions now yielding double digits, and the medium quality are yielding 100% annualized or higher. So it's it's really a tremendous opportunity for investors, but uh, you've seen spreads just blow out, haven't we?
2: Absolutely. And in, in spreads in general, like just to go back very quickly, as I forgot to mention, just some of the other weird movements in corporate bonds were that... The lowest rung of investment grade bonds, triple B, were actually performing worse than the highest rung of of high yield bonds at double B. So typically you would see that they would, you know, uh, the the greater the quality, the better they would perform in a downturn. Well, they are actually performing worse, which I just thought was a very interesting anecdote in terms of spreads blowing out as well. You're seeing the high yield spread blow out here. But in terms of merger arm, I mean, Right now, the market is implying that 40% of deals will break currently, break or be repriced downwards. Typically, you're seeing in the 6 to 8%, um, at least that's what it was prior to the meltdown. But even in crisis scenarios uh, of the past, um, you know, looking back to 2008, you were in kind of the 15% um, of deal breaks and not this 40%. So as you had mentioned before, 20% implied yield. It's not just merger. Arb. You have SPACs um, where... You know, and SPACs, you have just
1: for listeners, can we uh, tell them what a SPAC is?
2: Yes. So a special purpose acquisition company, basically just a cash shell where the cash that's raised upon in the IPO just goes into trust and and accrues interest um, invested in treasuries, um, which we had just discussed while they look for an acquisition. And you as the unit holder of a SPAC will have the opportunity to redeem um, at whatever that trust amount is on the redemption date. So there is a specified and a redemption date. So it's really a risk free trade for arbitragers. And in this scenario, and really the cash, the, literally the cash is just sitting in a trust um, accruing interest. And you're seeing these yielding double digit IRRs where, we, I mean, anytime I've looked at these in the past, they're in, you know, you're R- very rare to find one over 3%, um, whereas there's multiple in the universe that are in the double digits. And then going back just a little bit to Merger ARB as well, you look at some of the high quality deals out there in the universe. And just to give an example of this, you look at the Tiffany LVMH merger, which is expected to be completed in the next couple of months. I believe in May is the kind of estimated Completion date, but it's currently at a 10% gross spread, which would be over 100% annualized, whereas it was trading at a 1.5% gross spread in February. Um, when you look back it, it about a week ago, um, it was even as high as 13% um, before it was leaked that LVMH was considering buying up shares in the open market prior to close, which is a highly unusual tactic. But LVMH was likely just looking at how wide this spread was, especially in comparison to what a, a deal of this quality would be in the past, as well as Looking at LVMH, they just have a, it's one of Europe's largest uh, largest companies. They have a long track record of acquisitions during downturns. And this is a strategic deal. So it does tick a lot of the boxes in terms of being a safe deal. And it's just sitting at, you know, double digit, at a du- double digit thread, um, you know, really with with no underlying rationale for why it should be.
1: Yeah, I'm really pounding the table on this asset class. I mean, there's there's a lot of tremendous opportunities out there. I think merger arbitrage is a key one that investors should focus on because we want to separate, you know, facts from fear in the market. So there's a lot of this liquidity driven selling where investors have to sell. And there's just a tremendous lack of liquidity on many asset classes, including equities, bonds. And that's why you've seen them tank so much. Merge arbitrage is no different where you've had a lot of hedge funds degrossing their book, which means um, reducing their longs and their shorts, reducing risk, really trying to mitigate that volatility and mitigate losses and so what you have what you're seeing is just a sell at any price type attitude irrespective of the fundamental thesis behind the position so if we actually talk about facts and what's going on in merger arbitrage is number 1 uh, there's been 13 deals completed month to date which is in the past 3 weeks uh, that's been the extent of this whole coronavirus Panic has really uh, expanded tremendously over the past three weeks. And we did see a private equity buyout get completed, which was a digital colony and EQT's acquisition of Zayo Group. In addition to that, we saw a dozen other deals in Canada and the U.S. close. No deals have broken or repriced as of yet. Uh, we'll see, like, obviously this environment uh has uh, increased risk in terms of access to capital and propensity or desire to close on behalf of acquirers. But let's also look at what's actually happening instead of what people are fearing, deals are still getting done. For example, last week, Macquarie triumphed over competitor Brookfield for the acquisition of Cincinnati Bell. That was a tremendous bidding war. So buyers are putting down the funds to make these big acquisitions. I saw Brookfield active in the market. They bought a stake in Transalta. So big private equity firms still active in the market. Now this week, I should note that private equity firm KKR, they announced one of the largest leverage buyouts of the year. They scooped up garbage recycler Viridor in a 4.2 billion pound deal. This is out in, in Europe and then uh, in the US. Two parties continue to bid for television broadcaster Tenya, which values the company worth of $4 billion. So you're seeing a lot of strategic and financial deals. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but you're still seeing some. Perhaps activity is down. Uh, Another deal that I should mention uh, this week, Brookfield, large private equity player, announced the acquisition of Terraform Power, which was nearly a $10 billion deal. Uh, So significant transactions are still being announced significant transactions are being completed. We haven't seen anything fail yet. We haven't seen anything repriced yet. And currently in the market, every single leveraged buyout is priced as if it's going to break. And if that was the case, why would KKR go out two days ago and announce one of the largest private equity deals of the year if they weren't planning on closing it? So that's something that investors should take into account, not be scared by the market action, but really look to capitalize on it, and I think merge arbitrage is an asset class that investors should be looking at closely these days. And it's not just in traditional merge arbitrage, as you indicated, SPAC arbitrage, which is one of the lowest risk trades out there, where there are these cash rich companies that just own US treasuries, allowing you to buy it at uh, discounts as high as five, six, seven percent, such that on an annualized basis of the redemption is in less than a year, you can actually generate double-digit annualized returns by just buying these and redeeming them, or at the end of the they they have a fixed expiry, fixed term, typically two years, in which they give you the money back, which is ten dollars plus interest over the two years that they had to seek a deal. It's basically what I call free money out there. And it's just a tremendous opportunity in the market for investors that they should be looking at. Don't be sitting in cash. You gotta look at be looking at uh either buying high quality equities, high quality bonds, or looking at strategies such as merge arbitrage, back arbitrage, etc., where there are these generational buying opportunities the like of which we have never seen uh, since 2008 2009 and in some cases even exceeding that generational buying opportunity so it's it's no time to to waste who knows how long this opportunity will last but there's market participants desperate for liquidity and You know, if you're a liquidity provider in this market, you can get very generous terms. Mike, like you said, um, double digit annualized returns for the lowest risk of arbitrage deals. And then uh, in the low risk merger arbitrage space, 20 percent annualized plus in the medium risk merger arbitrage space. Yields north of 100%, which is, uh, if we talk about average yield in the merger arbitrage space, I believe that's around 22% annualized. In a normal environment, that's around 5 And so you saw a tremendous widening of spreads, seeing it in many asset classes. It's a really, really crazy market. Uh, people desperate for liquidity and desperate for U.S. dollars and treasury. Uh, anything else on this one?
2: Nope, nothing else from my side.
1: All right, well, that's it, investors and uh Short sellers, traders, that's episode 59 of the Absolute Return podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can always check out more at absolutereturnpodcast.com. Please leave us a review. And if you want to ask questions or get in touch with us, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Julian Klamochko. That's K-L-Y-M-O-C-H-K-O. And Mike, your Twitter handle is?
2: It is M underscore Kessler.
1: All right. And that wraps it up for this week's episode. Until next week, uh, keep your head on straight. Don't get too uh, freaked out uh, just on these crazy market moves. And let's look to be opportunistic here, uh, opportunistic and enterprising investors. Don't worry about the day-to-day, but keep your eyes set on your long-term financial goals. And we will uh, chat with you soon. Wish you the best of luck in your investing. Cheers. (laughs)
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.